Hey there, I'm Ian. And I'm Rachel. And we want to welcome you to our Building Contenders podcast. Here we share messages, sermons, and our weekly conversations to equip you to contend for the kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy it. Blessings. Blessings. So Father, I just thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you're good beyond belief. And that the lies of the enemy will always will always challenge your goodness. But God, we stand uh, on the security of knowing that you're good and that your love endures forever. And I pray that everybody that hears my voice, that watches this, will know your goodness in the land of the living. Not just when we die, but in the land of the living. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the things I, I love about Jesus is that he didn't try to dumb his message down. Um, you know, he didn't stop using Christianese or any of that stuff. He didn't try to be more understandable. In fact, he tried to be less understandable, it seems at times, speaking in this parabolic language. And and we kind of wonder why uh, he doesn't do that, why he's not more seeker sensitive, why he's not sort of trying to gather the masses. Uh, when what he's doing is saying, you know, those that have an ear, let them hear. And, you know, saying that to the disciples that those that won't follow him, they're not going to understand, but the ones that follow him will understand. And, and really, that's been part of the challenge, I think, over the last two and a half years, 25 years, 100 years, 2000 years, is that we're moving from being mildly interested in this person, Jesus, to following him and actually becoming disciples of Jesus. And that's kind of our challenge. Uh, our ongoing challenge. Let, let me read from Romans 12, and I'm reading from the New American Standard. I'm going to read a couple of versions, different versions uh, this evening, just because um, I like them. Um, so this is Romans, Romans 12, and verse 9. It says, Love must be free of hypocrisy. Detest what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. This is the mark of disciples of Jesus is that we persevere in hope and we rejoice in tribulation of course that is not natural it's just not natural it's not what we want to do we don't want to rejoice and uh, you know what we don't want to be like woohoo tribulation this is amazing none of us really want to do that um but this is the mark of somebody who knows that god is good despite everything that's happening despite the circumstances despite not even understanding what's going on that god is in fact good so, so here we are in July 2022. I nearly forgot. I always feel that I've lost a year or two somewhere. Maybe that's because we lost a year or two. Uh, but here we are in July 2022, and everything around us feels like it's in turmoil. Everything around us feels like, uh, like Leviathan. Let me describe Leviathan. Leviathan, I don't believe Leviathan is this spirit, and we're all infected with the spirit of Leviathan. Leviathan was this place of chaos in the waters. And 
when the waters were stirred, when the sea was stirred in, in Second Temple Judaism, it was the chaos of the waters. It was the chaos of what was going on. And they believed that this came from underneath the water from this beast called Leviathan, who was part of the underworld and the gate of the underworld was, was, in, the, was in the ocean. And, and it is this, you know, it's a very good picture, I think, of what's happening. There's this kind of stirring uh, under the waters that's going on. There's this stirring under the waters, and all we see is the chaos. All we experience is the rough seas, the rough crossing. And it may not be the tribulation that we thought of. Certainly when I became a Christian, it was all the thief in the night stuff. Um, and it may not be that kind of tribulation, but we are actually being tested in the fires of Mount Doom right now to use a Tolkien re reference. Like we are being tested in the fires. And I want to use another Tolkien reference. There is this piece in the movies that is a little bit different in the book, but there's this piece in the movies, there's an amazing scene where Gandalf comes to King Theoden. Um, and, and King Theoden is, is uh, his right-hand guy. His chief of staff is this guy called Wormtongue. And Wor Wormtongue, uh, calls Gandalf Stormcrow, that he's only coming with bad news, that he's only this guy who's coming with bad news, whereas everything is great, and all that Theoden has to do is just batten down the hatches and just stay preserved. But the whole time, Wormtongue is whispering in the ears of the king a message from another kingdom. He is whispering in the ears of King Theoden this message from another principality, from another source. He's whispering messages of hopelessness, of doom, and of defeat, and just battling down the hatches. And what happens is Theoden becomes a different person. So if you picture it in Scripture, if you if you picture that Saul, the apostle, who actually comes in comes into contact with the prophets, and people assumed that he was now a prophet, he became a different person. He started to prophesy in the company and the spoken words and the whispers of these prophets and the anointing they, they carried. So if you take that into the darkness, if you take that into what's been happening in the nations, and it's not just the United States, but in the nations, that we have been listening to the voice of a different kingdom. We have been listening to the threats and the innuendos of a different kingdom that says this is the way it's going to be. And the battle, the battle of secularism against Christianity, about uh, uh, the battle for secular values against kingdom values, uh, we feel is already lost. And we're looking for some kind of solution, some kind of knight in white armor to come along and save us. Generally, in, a, in an election context, that's what we're looking for. But, but here we are. We've just been listening to the wrong voices. <laughs> Is it any wonder we are hopeless when we have listened to the wrong voices for years that our hope has been on you know, horses and chariots, but some of us, our hope remains in the Lord? You know, some hope in horses and chariots and some hope in the name of the Lord, Psalms 20. And, and we've been listening to these horses and chariots telling us they're going to save us, they're going to, they're going to you know, bring all this stuff to, back to the the nation and freedom and all that kind of stuff. And it's common sense, for goodness sake. And we, we, can't, we can't be surprised when we have become a different person listening to different voices. So the scene in Theoden, you know, when, when Gandalf comes in and he, you know, 
warm tongue is sort of snippy at him and a little bit, you know, a little bit nasty, a little bit full of contempt at Gandalf the Grey. And Gandalf takes off his robe and it's he's not. He's been transformed into Gandalf the White. And uh, and he does this whole thing, you know, with Theoden, you know, I release you. And then Theoden comes back to himself and he says this thing. He says, dark have been my dreams of late. Dark have been my dreams of late. And, and I, I, I want to suggest that that means that it doesn't mean the dreams in the night just, but it means the things that he's pondering about, the things that he's expecting to happen, the things that he is dreaming about happening are actually nightmares. The things that have filled his hope space, the, the things that have filled his creating something that is not, you know, something that, that doesn't exist, uh, calling it into being, the things that he has listened to are actually producing dark dreams. So is it possible that what we're doing by listening to the prophets of a wrong kingdom, by the prophetic voices and whispers of the worm tongues of a wrong kingdom, is it possible that what we do is we start to actually create something that was never designed to be created? We start to create a, a future that is never designed to be created. See, I, I think it is, I think it's incumbent on every child of God, uh, particularly those with the gift of discernment, to, to discern good from evil. Right? Romans 12 again, detest what is evil and cling to what is good. Now we've got totally confused about what is evil, what is good, and what is just tragic. And I think those are three things, really three good things to remember, that not everything that is tragic is evil. And not everything, you know, and we can't we can't start to call things that are not because it stops us from addressing the problem. So let me give an example. Racism is evil to its core, right? To its very core, it is evil. And if we're going to partner with God, then we need to make sure there's no trace of it in our lives whatsoever, Right? I, I, I'm going to push the envelope for some of you. The the notion that there are not that that God did not create male and female, that it wasn't simply male and female, and there's now all this confusion, and we now have like children who are confused. It's evil. It's not something that's benign. It is actually evil. Like the 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 bitterness and and, and angst that that people are being pitted against each other on the media and on social media is evil. The source of this is evil, and we do not contend with it. We don't fight against it by doing evil. We do not repay evil with evil, and, and we'll read that out even here. But we're we're not going to repay evil with evil. We have to actually do something that is higher than all this, and not just get into the trenches of doing more things that are sectarian and divisive and full of hatred and bitterness and angst and all that kind of stuff. And there are things that are good, you know, like marriage is good. There, there are things that were not good in, in Eden, right? There's God created things and he said they were good. There's one thing he said was very good. And that's when he created uh, humanity. He said, oh, that's very good. That's my best work. Some of my best work right there. And then there was something that wasn't good. And that thing that wasn't good was actually that Adam was on his own. And what he did was he brought Eve to him. He brought his, uh, th this, this person, this equal, this equal human being that was to walk by his side as equals. 
as co-creators, as co-reigners, as the king and queen of the planet, right? He he brought, and, and to, that's good. We can't start mistaking that for, uh, for, for evil or for something that, that it's good. It's really good. Um, you know, like all the stuff that we've gone through the past couple of weeks can really be sorted into the character into one of these three columns. You know, like there, there are things that are going on that, that people just, there are tragedies that happen and people call them evil. It's, it's simply a tragedy, right? These are tragedies. Nobody's, nobody's designed them. Nobody's, you know, get up in the morning and said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this, this thing that is tragic and has tragic results in families and all that. So, so let's, let's just make sure that we're addressing the fight against the evil. And trying to minimize tragedies, of course, but let's not call all the tragedies evil. You know, school shootings are evil. Just, just to be clear, whatever, whatever the kaleidoscope, whatever the uh, kaleidoscope of reasons that there are for these things, it's just evil. It's just people being listening to the voice of a different kingdom. So, so where does this leave us? This leaves us in a place where we have to actually listen. To, to the to a different voice. This is, this is what Romans 5 says. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation. It says, but that's not all. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence, knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance. And patient endurance will refine our character. And proven character leads us back to hope. And this hope is not a disappointing fantasy. So, so when I when I was eleven, my dad died, and I had this this hope. And I was probably married when I realized that I had this false hope, this disappointing fantasy. And my disappointing fantasy was that my dad hadn't actually died; that died that he was a secret agent and was living, you know, a life somewhere else as this secret agent. I mean, the fantasies of an, fantasies of an eleven-year-old boy um, who just didn't know how to grieve well. And like every 11 year old boy, but, but it was years. It was a decade plus afterwards that I realized, oh my goodness, that was just, you know, hope sometimes is the hardest thing to kill, but it's not the hope that is, that is this confident expectation of something. It's the disappointing fantasy that sometimes can be hardest to kill. And, and this, and this hope is not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy, through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Right? So even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence knowing that our pressures will develop patient endurance. Patient endurance will refine our character. Proven character leads us back to hope. And this hope is not a disappointing fantasy. So our pressures will, will produce patient endurance. But here's my caveat. They'll produce patient endurance if you're actually listening to the right voice. If you're focused on the right voice, then you can produce endurance. But what's been happening is we've been listening to the voices of witchcraft. Like there has been a witchcraft thing released on the globe. This religious and political spirit that has been released on the globe, this is not Jezebel, this isn't anything. This is this manipulation and control that comes with the spirit of religion and, and politics. And it's been released on the earth in an unprecedented way, certainly in my lifetime, and I think in the lifetime of anybody that's that I'm familiar with. 
that this has been released and we're not actually addressing it. We're listening to it. We're not refusing this. We're listening to it. I'm wondering why we're not enduring. And we're not enduring because we're listening to the wrong flipping voices. There's a Rihanna song that says, you know, I think it's Eminem and Rihanna, you know, monsters. I'm friends with the monster who lives under my bed. I get along with the voices inside of my head. Well, it's time to not get along with those voices. It's time to actually rebuke what is evil. It's time to have no part of what is evil. Detest what is evil. Define this thing that is evil that's going on and detest it. The control, the manipulation, and the, the constant judgment of other people. We have to detest what is evil and not put up with it. We can't fight. We can't fight for the kingdom of heaven by using the kingdom of darkness as weapons. We just can't do that. That is illegal in, in the kingdom of God. So we have this process, and if it's not, if these pressures are not developing patient endurance, and patient endurance is not refining our character, and the proven character is not leading us back to hope, I want to suggest it's really simple that you're listening to the wrong voice. If you're building hope in your life, if you're building this, this, this ability to hope, then you got to stop listening to those voices of the worm tongues out there that are trying to cut you down, trying to bring their contempt into your life and their fears into your life and actually say, no, no, I know what my God has said. I know what my God has said. It, I, I find it really interesting that one of the things that's happening is the undermining of Scripture. That, that one, of, one of the things that's happening in the church is that people are undermining Scripture so that they can't even trust the thing that's actually going to change them and change their lives and change their thinking and bring this repentance. And yet Scripture is so important to us. It's so important that we know what God has said and that God has said that I will work all things together for our good, that everything is being worked together for our good. This is what Scripture says. Scripture says, in this world, you will have trouble, but do not be dismayed. In other words, don't be fractured by this. Don't be all over the place by the fact that you've got troubles in your life. But what we're doing is we're not listening to that. We're listening to the, oh, my goodness, you know, the schools are going to go here and the society is going to go here and all this. And, God, and Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sort it. I got this, people. Like, I've got this. The world has been in a worse state than this before, and I have got this. And stop listening to the voices of CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, the BBC, or whatever it is. Romans 4. <clears throat> I want to read this a little bit back just because I'm going to start in verse 13. God promised Abraham and his descendants they would, that they would have an heir who would reign over the world. And of course, talking about Jesus, the seed himself. This royal promise was not fulfilled because Abraham kept all the law. Amen. But through the righteousness that was transferred by faith. Faith. For if keeping the law earns the inheritance, then faith is robbed of its power. Come on, Jesus. Then faith is robbed of its power. And the promise becomes useless. For the law provokes punishment, and where no law exists, there cannot be a violation of the law. The promise depends on faith so that it can be experienced as a grace gift, and now it extends to all the descendants of Abraham. This promise is not only meant for those who obey the law, but also to those who enter into the faith of Abraham, the father of us all. That's what the scripture means when it says, I have made you the father 
of many nations. He is our example and father. For in God's presence, he believed that God can raise the dead and call into being things that don't even exist yet. And against all odds, when it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise and expected God to fulfill it. He took God at his word, and as a result, he became the father of many nations. Against all odds, hope against hope is, I think, what the original thing says. But against, against all odds, hope against hope that Abraham actually believed. Right? This is a hope against hope, against all odds, when everything, when everything said, this will not happen. You're never going to have a child. You're 100. Your wife's 99. Everything's closed. The, sh the store is closed. You're not possibly going to have a child. And against all hope, he believed. And, and this is what we're cultivating. As a people of God, this is what we're culti cultivating is this against all odds hope. That hope that is listening to the right voices. Listen, if... If, if you're there's there's a proverb I can't remember let me see if I can find it because I bet I have it I have it on here um there is a proverb that simply says that you know I know where it is yeah um be resolved to listen and hear only to God it's proverbs 14 7 and and it's this notion when hope goes it's probably because you've listened to the full or the, the full when hope goes, it's because you've listened to the fool. That's it. You're listening to the wrong voices. Proverbs 4, 14, 7. When hope goes, you're listening to the fool and not God himself. That's my that's my interpretation of it, right? Like when hope goes, you're listening to the fool. You're listening to the wrong voice. And here you have Abraham against all odds. And this is what we're building. We're building. He is our father of believing against all odds. And we get to walk in the anointing and the flow of believing whenever everything says no. And of course, you're all going to, you know, like I, 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 I'm one of these guys that, that knows that, that needs to know, is this over? Is God, are you saying that this is done? But if he's not saying it's done, if it's just the circumstances that are saying it's done, then you got to believe you got to go hope against all hope. Let me read Romans 8. Again, I want to read a little bit before it. So I'm going to start in verse 18. I'm convinced that any suffering we endure is less. Than, and again, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Uh, any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. For against its will, listen to this, that it's amazing that the universe has a, has a will. For against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now with eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. To this day, we are aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation as if it were in the contractions of labor for childbirth. And it's not just creation. We who have already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit also inwardly groan as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters 
including our physical bodies being transformed, for this is the hope of our salvation. I want to suggest that what happens in times like this, in times that we're in at the minute, when we're listening to the wrong voices, we all know that we are pregnant. Some of us may have forgotten it, but we know that we are carrying inside of us like promises that haven't yet manifested. And the one sure way to make sure those promises don't come true is to walk out and quit, deconstruct everything and walk out and make up some, say it's somebody, make up somebody to blame, right? Just going to make up somebody to blame. But what, what's happening with is the reason it's so heartbreakingly hard at times is because we know that we are pregnant with the promises of God. And we can't reconcile the being this pregnant when we should have given birth whenever, right? Uh, when we should have actually, but we're still carrying these pregnant promises of God. And it is that sort of thing that's going on that, that we are just getting so frustrated. Like, I don't know how long have I to carry this? How long is it going to be until I'm, I'm free of this and I see something happening? But hope means that we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. For why would we need to hope for something we already have? So because our hope is set on what is yet to be seen, we patiently keep on waiting for its fulfillment. So it's not hope if you can see it. That simple. That's just that's going by sight, not by faith. And we live by faith and not by sight. So here's, here's the bit. What if I change the definition of hope for you? What if I change the definition? Of, so faith is the, sub, is the substance of things hoped for. So the things that we hope for are actually acquired through faith, right? The things that we're hoping, we have to have faith believing, right? And that's, that's Abraham, the father of faith, Hebrews 11, all those matriarchs and patriarchs that, that are listed of people that believed even though they didn't see. It's that kind of faith, right? It's the kind of faith that even when we're defeated, we're still going to believe. It's paradoxical. But what if I change the definition of hope and say, and ask you this question, if you were full of hope, how would your behavior change? Not your thinking, not your emotions, but if you're full of hope right now that all of the promises that God has made in your life are yes, and you get to put your amen, what if your amen is simply hope? What if the amen is actually not giving up hope, but actually allowing it to, 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 to build this patient endurance in us because we're listening to the father and not the foe? But, and it allows us to build this patient endurance in us because here's the bit. And, and I, we were at church today and I, I said, uh, you know, Borny, who was preaching, I said, you stole all my stuff for this afternoon. Um, how did you get into my mind and steal all my stuff for this afternoon? And, and, uh, because here's the bit that, that we've got to get. See, hope does not quit. We can lose hope, but hope itself, if hope is a thing, like if hope is is like, you know, is like a notebook, if this hope, it, this, this, this thing called hope is a real thing. So in the unseen, in heaven, in the second half, whatever you want to call it, in the unseen realm, faith is actually a substance. It's a sticky gooey uh, substance that 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 you can that is tangible in the unseen realm. Hope, what if hope is exactly the same? What if hope has actually characteristics of itself, just in the same way that, that Paul is talking about the universe against its will being held captive? 
And what if what if hope against its will has actually been diminished? When, that, when what we got to do is we just got to let hope out. And I think what we do to let hope out is we start to imagine what it's like. Imagine, start to dream. Not the dark have been my dreams of late. Start to dream of what it looks like when you are filled with hope that this will happen. That you're filled with hope that the breakthrough that you need, the breakthrough that your family needs, what it's going to look like. And we start moving in the direction of that hope. We start behaving like it long before we feel like it. We start behaving like it long before we think like it. We're just going to start the ball rolling with our behavior. Francis Frangipan said this. It was I, I read it in the year just after we got married, 1989, in his book, The Three Battlegrounds. He says this, it's been used by a good friend of mine, Steve Backland, but he says, any area of your life that is not filled with the joyful anticipation of good, that is not glistening with the joyful anticipation of good is under the influence of a lie. So what does it look like when we start to have the joyful anticipation of good in all those areas of your life? So Father, I just pray, I ask right now that everybody who listens will have a reigniting of hope. And I don't mean like a cowboying up, like pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. I, I don't mean that because it, it's hard to, to, to just keep doing that. It's impossible to just keep doing that. But I ask for an infusion of hope and that you would give us the wisdom and revelation to know what it looks like, that when hope is restored, how do we behave? How do we walk it out? In Jesus' name, amen. So thank you guys. Um, thanks for tuning in. I'll be back on every Sunday, 6 p.m. And please be free to share it, like it, comment. And uh, yeah, love you guys.